Welcome to a new episode of Land Grant Holy Land in Conversation. My name is Matt Tamanini. On this podcast, we talk to people in and around Ohio State Athletics and the sporting world at large to bring you a different insight and perspective to the teams, athletes, and university that you love. On today's episode, I am joined by the co-managing editor of one website that you might be familiar with, LandGrantHolyLand.com, Gene Ross. Gene, how you doing, man? I'm doing pretty good, you know, a pretty busy week, both in uh, the country at large and in Ohio State, so got a lot to talk about. Yeah, definitely have a lot to talk about. Um, We're going to focus on the draft decisions of Ohio State players and kind of talk about what that means both for the Buckeyes in 2021 and maybe a little bit about what it means for those guys that have declared themselves eligible for the NFL draft. So, Gene, um, let's start with talking about the guys who we know are leaving. We are recording this on Thursday. We've gotten stuff up until today. Um, So there might be a few other stragglers that we don't exactly know about. But we do know that Justin Fields has declared himself eligible for the NFL draft, as have Josh Myers, Wyatt Davis, both offensive linemen, Sean Wade uh, at cornerback, and then Tommy Togiai. Uh, on defensive tackle. Just today, we have heard that linebacker Pete Werner will not use his uh, extra year of eligibility, and he will declare himself for the NFL draft as well. Um, Who else am I missing? Is there anybody else that I didn't have in that list, Gene? Uh, As far as underclassmen, I think it's uh, Baron Browning. Was Baron Browning a senior? Uh, Right. Baron Browning is, is leaving, as is Trey Sermon. He has left as well. Um, so it's a it's an interesting group of guys uh, in there. Some that are no brainers, like I think uh, Justin Fields and Wyatt Davis. Uh, there are some that might be a little bit more um, surprising, like it could have gone either way. I thought Tommy Togi I could have gone either way. Um, I, I thought maybe Baron Browning could go either way. Then you've got guys who I think it's a I understand it. Tn I talked about it on our show. Stick to sports. Like I get why Sean Wade left. But I also kind of thought he might be leaning to staying. What did you think about Sean Wade's decision to head to the NFL after passing up the chance to be a a first-rounder last year? Yeah, I thought it was pretty interesting. I also thought it was kind of like a a 50-50 thing. I thought it it made more sense for him to return this time around than it did for him when he made his decision last time. uh, When he could have gone last year, he was getting some first-round draft grades that time around. And now if you look at him this year, he's kind of kind of more of a mid-round guy after how he, he played this season moving to the outside. So I really thought he could have come back for another season, really honed his skills on the outside. I know that's what he wants to play in the NFL. I know that's the more highly regarded position in the NFL. So I really, I did think that he could potentially come back and play another year. But, you know, I'm never going to fault a guy for going to get that money. So he's got to do what he's got to do. Yeah, and what T and I discussed uh, on our show is just the fact that, you know, it kind of just feels like he's already passed up one year of NFL money making, even if it means he's going to make less money, he might as well go and get it. And w- one of the the few benefits of being a later round draft pick is is your uh, contract length tends to be shorter. the The guaranteed slotted first round contracts are usually four years. Obviously, you're making a crap ton more money. But if he goes in the third, fourth round, it's generally going to be around a three-year deal. So if he goes out and proves himself at the NFL level, he'll have the opportunity to make up some of that money, not all of it. He's never going to make up the money that he's lost, either from the one year that he stayed in college or the money he lost um, as a first round, could have been a first round draft pick. But if he can get himself into a good free agent contract after three years, um, whether that's a restricted free agent or unrestricted free agent, like I think there's an, uh, it makes sense to get out there. So... Um, 
let's talk about some of these these other guys that are staying though because that's where i really want to focus on this gene the big surprise is wide receiver chris olave coming back then we have offensive tackle thayer munford who um had some all america uh, uh, selections so i was a little surprised uh, about him Tight end Jeremy Ruckert, defensive end Tyreek Smith, offensive tackle Nicholas Petit Frere, cornerback uh, Marcus Williamson. Those last two I, I wasn't super surprised by, but we also um, heard from Seven Banks, cornerback uh, Seven Banks. And the one that I know all of us in Land Grant, especially in our Slack channel, were super anxious to hear about um, was defensive tackle uh, Haskell Garrett. Um, so aside from Olave, which I think is probably the biggest surprise of all, considering he was a, a first round, maybe even a top 10, 15 pick, who are you most excited about coming back other than Olave? Yeah, I think the easy answer is Haskell Garrett, just, you know, based on how good he was and what that position would have looked like without him, especially with Tommy Togiai going to the next level, that that defensive tackle room for Ohio State was pretty barren. And if, if Haskell Garrett wouldn't have come back, it, it would have been a really interesting situation to see who they would have had trotting out there in 2021. But um, I think it's a good decision for him. You know, he really he he came out of nowhere this year. He really had a breakout season, and with everything he went through in the off season, getting shot in the face, and then playing a month later, and then having the year he did, I, I think coming back for another season and putting up more highlight real plays for NFL scouts, I think he can make himself some really good money this season. And I'm excited to see him out there. You know, I he's he was really. One, the unsung hero of Ohio State's defense. I can't even say really unsung because I feel like everyone really knew about him. But the defensive tackle is normally not really a flashy position. And he he was one of Ohio State's best defensive players all year long. And I'm excited to see another year of him doing his thing out there. Yeah, I mean, without him, the starters probably would have looked like Jerron Cage and Teron Vincent. Um, I think they're, they're the only upperclassmen that will be on the roster next year. I assume... Maybe one of them will start next year. That's a whole other thing. I know you did a, a depth chart, which I want to get into here in a little bit. But what does it mean for the uh, offensive line that both Thayer Munford and Nicholas Petit Frere both elected to come back? I didn't expect uh, Petit Frere to leave, although he could have. Uh, Munford, I kind of just assumed he would leave because he's been so solid for, for so long. Um, but what does it mean to have both of them back? Uh, and and really anchoring this this offensive line, which has been a a strength over the last few years for the Buckeyes. Yeah, and and Munford wasn't the biggest surprise. There were some rumors heading into it that he he was thinking of sticking around, but it, it is it is cool to have him back. It, the offensive tackle positions are so important along your offensive line, and to have both guys returning just makes it easier for whoever starts at quarterback this year. We saw all year long, you know, it seemed like every week there was a new. Like PFF tweet about how Ohio State's offensive tackles had allowed zero pressures yeah. that week, and that was that was Munford and MPF all year long. And those guys, you know, we never really—I don't think we saw it many, if at all, penalties from those guys all year long. There were not many holdings. They were keeping the pocket clean. They were not getting beat. I remember that game early on against Penn State, where both of their defensive ends are, are NFL prospects. They didn't let up a single pressure from either of those guys in that entire game. So it, it's huge to have those guys back. It's going to be interesting to see now what happens with. Uh, Paris Johnson Jr., who is obviously a five-star offensive yeah. tackle. Uh, I think we'll see him move to guard this year, like we saw him play a little bit against Clemson. But I, I think the I said offensive line's in really good shape. They've got a lot of guys that they can move around. They've got a lot of, you know, former blue chip prospects out there. So even with losing Wyatt Davis and Josh Myers, I think just having 
having Munford and MPF out there as your anchors and then having a bunch of guys in the middle that you're pretty comfortable with moving around. You know a lot of guys that have experience playing on that line. And so I think it, I think it's huge for them. And I think, you know, offensive line is is where the bread is buttered. That's going to help your run game. That's going to help the new quarterback. And so uh, I'm, I'm excited to see how those guys gel as the year goes on. And it'll be uh, whoever's out there. It'll be a good unit for sure. Well, and that means that Harry Miller is probably going to slide back to center where that's his natural position. Although when we've seen him at center this year, uh, has not been great. Um, but what really interests me about this is is that I think, you know, we've been waiting for Nicholas petit Frey to kind of burst onto the scene for a while. This was his third year. 2020 was his third season with the Buckeyes. And now he's going into his fourth year. And obviously he redshirted and you've got this year. So I don't really even I can't keep track of how many years of eligibility people have anymore. But I imagine that he considers himself a left tackle. I imagine he considers himself a blindside protector, and that's how he wants to market himself for the NFL. I do wonder if Thayer Munford coming back might mean that NPF sticks around yet another year into 2022 because he wants to be able to put left tackle snaps on film for for you know pro scouts. Um, I don't know that I would foresee that happening because I think he played so well in 2020 that 2021 is going to be his last year. But I do think it's interesting that with Thayer Munford firmly entrenched at the left tackle position for the Buckeyes, what that might mean for the offensive line moving forward. Yeah, and I wonder how you know strong convictions uh, Munford has of staying at left tackle. Maybe they decide that they're both open to a switch and we see them swap sides. I don't think it really – it probably doesn't really matter for either guy. I don't know which guy is going to wind up being – the higher NFL prospect. If I had to guess in the long run, it'll probably be NPF, but uh, it would be yeah. interesting to see if they, they do decide to make that switch or if one of them moves. Uh, I, I don't know if we could even see one of them move inside if because Paris Johnson is not going to stay off the field, and if they would rather have him at his natural position to tackle, then maybe one of those guys slides inside for you. So it's it's going to, like I said, there's a lot of versatility on this line. So they're, they're deep, and they've got they've got room to wiggle. Yeah, and I'm also looking at some of these guys uh, behind him. Dewan Jones is a mountain, and I think it's been really interesting to see him kind of get some spots throughout the uh, the last year or so. But then uh, Enoch Vimaha, Vimaha, how do we say his last name? Because I screw it up every time. I believe it's Vamahi, but I could be Vimahi. wrong. That seems much more likely than the stupid thing that I just said. Um, you know, he they even they even had him practicing at at defensive line because of how thin they were um, uh, going into the national championship game. So it shows that they really trust him. So I wouldn't be surprised if he gets some action at some point, probably as a you know as a backup, obviously. But um, it makes me think that there's some some bright uh, stuff in his future. Um, sorry, we skipped over Chris Olave at first just because I figured it was a little tired to start with him. But I think the thing that a lot of folks have said, and we were talking about it in our Slack channel before it kind of, you know, hit the 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 interwebs uh, more widely, especially with Joshua Perry saying the same thing. But the fact that Chris Olave is coming back to me says a lot about what he has seen in practice from one of or both of the true freshman quarterbacks from 2020. I don't know if that means he thinks that they are going to be Justin Fields level. I don't know that we will see somebody at Justin Fields level for a long time, but I think it probably means that he feels pretty good about CJ Stroud or Jack Miller being a competent quarterback to be able to lead this team to a Big Ten title and potentially into the playoffs next year. Because I don't think Chris Olave is coming back if he doesn't think he's got a pretty decent shot 
to make a return trip and hopefully get some revenge against Alabama. Yeah, absolutely. And you could even throw, you know, incoming five-star freshman Colin McCord into that mix. So I think, you know, if he doesn't have full confidence that one of those guys that's already on campus is good, I think he knows that one of those three guys is going to be very good and with all the weapons around him that this offense is going to be brilliant once again. But I just, Chris Olave's decision to come back was really stunning to me just based on where he was projected in this draft. I, I saw uh, PFF had him as high as going number 20 overall to the Bears. And I know that this is a very very deep wide receiver class with guys like Jalen Waddle, Devonta Smith, Jamar Chase, all those guys, Rashad Bateman, Rondell Moore. So maybe he wants to come back next year and try to be, you know, a top two or three wide receiver in that next draft. But the most surprising thing for me or him coming back is that he kind of he accomplished all the things that he had come back to do. You know, he had yeah. the, the biggest reason he wanted to really uh, like re redefine his image was that that play at the end of the Clemson game and then he comes back has a monster season and they destroy Clemson and so I thought you know that was kind of the icing on the cake for Chris Olave that was all he wanted to achieve in his Ohio State career is kind of make up for his his one big mistake and he did that and now he had a chance to go potentially be a first round pick but he decided to come back he wants to win a national title he's he's comfortable in this offense and now you're going to see Ohio State return all three of their top wide receivers from last year for whoever's throwing the rock in addition to Jeremy Ruckert. Yeah, Jeremy Ruckert is back as well. The thing that interests me about Jeremy Ruckert coming back is that I have to imagine that he's going to see a lot fewer targets going into next year because without presumably the run threat of of Justin Fields in the backfield, like I kind of feel like they're going to look more like the 2018 offense than they did either the 2019 or 2020 offense where you have, let's just assume C.J. Stroud is the quarterback, which is who you have in your way too early depth chart prediction. He was also um, by far the higher rated quarterback between uh, him and Jack Miller. I think we'll give the benefit of the doubt to them, even though Kyle McCord is obviously super highly rated as well. But let's just say it's C.J. Stroud. Like, he was the number one or two pro-style quarterback. He's going to be looking to throw the ball in ways that hopefully look similar to what Dwayne Haskins did in 2018. So it interests me that that Rucker is coming back when we're going to probably see a lot more four or five wide receiver sets like we did when Dwayne Haskins was not only throwing bombs deep, but also having a lot of guys coming from the slot, a lot of mesh routes, a lot of crossing routes, which doesn't see Ohio State in 12 personnel all that much, which is what we've seen a lot during the Justin Fields era in terms of the uh, offensive alignment. Yeah, but I think uh, on the other hand, too, you're now going to see with Farrell graduating, Ruckert is going to be tight end one. He's going to be the guy. If there's a tight end on the field, it's going to be him every play. And I think with another year, you know, we saw his blocking improve drastically from one year to the next with him playing more and more snaps. And so I think, you know, another year of doing that, catching the the few passes that he gets, making the highlight plays that he's made. He's had some crazy one-handed catches, clearly a very athletic and skilled tight end. You know, I I have uh, he's like the best Long Island recruit ever. So I have a bunch of friends out here that actually know his his family and his younger you're brothers. Not they're biased. All, they're all, you're not biased no, not, or anything. Not at all. But they're all they're all rooting for him to obviously make it to the league. And I do think with another strong year, he could play himself into a, a first or second round totally. pick because he has yeah. been very, very good. I, I don't know if I'd go first, but, you know, second day pick is I, it's possible. I think he'd have to have a pretty good year offensively, but he's definitely one of the best blocking tight ends in the country. Um, and if a team's looking for that, I don't know that they'd go second or third round, but he's definitely going to make a roster and he's probably going to make a decent amount of money, um, doing that as well. Let me, let's go, let's ask one more question about how guys returning impacts the offense with Chris Olave coming back. That means that he is obviously the number one threat on the outside. I don't know. I'm assuming they're going to keep Garrett Wilson in the slot, um, 
I'm, but he, I think he has the talent to play outside as well. Um, I'm not sure how that impacts him. Um, you've also got Jamison Williams, who obviously was the third wide receiver this season. Tons of speed, didn't necessarily um, do a ton this year, although he did have two touchdowns. But with guys like Julian Fleming, Jackson Smith and Jigba, uh, Gee Scott, Ameka Egbuka, Marvin Harrison Jr., and all the other guys um, that are in that room, is there any reason to worry about, A, if any of those guys are going to bail maybe after spring ball, or B, if any of those guys are going to bail after the 2021 season and said like, well, I'm clearly buried on this depth chart and I'm never going to get a chance. Like, is there a chance of Ohio state losing some of these really highly recruited guys just because they can't see the field because someone like Chris Olave came back unexpectedly for a fourth season. Yeah. I mean, it's funny just how jaded we are as Ohio state fans that our, our first round NFL draft bound uh, wide receiver returns and our first thought is, but what about all of our other five stars? <laughs> know, What's going to happen then? And he was a three star, and he was a three star exactly. wide recruit, like the, one of the one of the two that wasn't a blue chipper uh, in that wide receiver room right now. Yeah, developed here, but it it, it is a valid question, and I, I think it is it comes down to you know these guys now with with Garrett Wilson heading into year three, and I, I think they're both there's a potential that both of those guys leave in the first round of the NFL draft next year. There, there's going to be a lot of open space going into 2022, so I, I don't think they're really going to lose much, and if they did. It wouldn't be one of the guys that know they're in position to start in the coming year. So it wouldn't be one of the yeah. the higher rated guys. It wouldn't be the Julian Flemings or the Jackson Smith and Jigbas or the Emeka Egbukas. Though you don't have to worry about those guys going anywhere. But it, it is probably frustrating for some of those guys in a way because they were expecting to be the next man up. But I wouldn't be surprised if someone like a Jackson Smith and Jigba cracks his way into the top three this year. He's he showed a lot in some flashes, and obviously it was the it was the Chris Olave Garrett Wilson show all year. Those were the only really two guys that made any sort of noise as wide receivers. Uh, uh, Williams had a couple catches. Fleming did some stuff. Smith and Jigba did some stuff, but that it was really just those two guys. And I could see Smith and Jigba, you know, whether if Garrett Wilson wants to move back to the outside for maybe NFL reasons, I could see him doing that. I'm sure they'll whatever he wants, they'll let him do. He's talented enough to do either way. And then if that's the case, then I definitely could see Jackson Smith and Jigba being the starting slot receiver because I think that uh, Jamison Williams' skill set is clearly more for the outside. He's more of just a, a speed go route, get you on the outside, beat you like that. Yeah. I don't know if he's really a guy you're you're going to for short passes over the middle. So if that if if Garrett Wilson does transition back to the outside, then I could definitely see that. But if they if they came in the slot, then I think they still they stick with Jamison Williams. But we might see more of a, a rotation this year than we did last year. Now that these guys have a little bit more experience coming into year two. Yeah, especially if they do what I expect them to do and use some more of those four and five wide receiver sets than they did in the past two years with Justin Fields. Um, just get more guys on the on the field. The more you're able to be on the field, the more targets you get, the more targets you get, the more catches you get. So I, I think there will be more balls to go around, despite the fact that they are getting in one of the most highly recruited running backs uh, that the Buckeyes have had in a long time in, in Travion Henderson. I imagine he's going to be the first running back uh, on the depth chart next season. No offense to Master Teague, who is a former All Big Ten honoree, um, and guys like Mayan Williams, who had a great you know end of his season, and Steel Chambers and Marcus Crowley, um, who have shown at different times. But Trevon Henderson's just that dude. Like he is just good enough to for me to think that he's going to be the best running back in the room as soon as he steps on campus. If he hasn't already, I think he he gets there this weekend or or this past weekend. I think he's already on campus. 
Yeah, Travion Henderson's highlight tape is absolutely nuts, and if you haven't already seen it, I would highly recommend it. Um, I, I can't see how he, he doesn't win the job. No disrespect to Master Teague, but like uh, Travion Henderson literally looks like like prime Zeke. Like he, this this kid is unbelievable. And if Ohio State is committed to you know playing the best players on the roster and not just caving to seniority, then then Travion Henderson should definitely get a, a legitimate shot to be the number one guy. And I'm a huge Mayan Williams guy. I hope he does get a legitimate amount of snaps next year. I know love he only, the meatball. Really, love the meatball. He's the best. And he only really had like five really big carries, but it seemed like every time he did something, it was like, oh, you know, he's this this kid might have might have something to him. And he was only a, a three star recruit, but he seems hungry for action. I, I, it's, it was really unfortunate that he didn't get to make the trip to the national championship because he definitely would have got some carries once Trey, uh, Trey Sermon went totally. down. Totally, yeah. But um, yeah, it's uh, Ohio State's definitely not going to be hurting at the running back position, no matter who starts. They've got a ton of depth there. They've also got Evan Pryor coming in, like you said. They got Crowley and Teague and uh, Chambers and all these guys. So I- I'm sure they'll figure it out in the backfield. I hope they don't go with another two running back system. It just doesn't work. Uh, there, the there was an interview I saw with Trey Sermon's running back coach, where even he was saying, you know, uh, part of the reason Sermon wasn't as great early in the year is because two running back systems don't work no matter how good the two guys are. It's just, yeah. it doesn't let you get into a rhythm. They can't start getting those hits in. It just, it just doesn't work out. I hope they don't try to go with that because they're trying to make Teague happy if Henderson does wind up as a starter. But I think whoever the number one tailback is will be just fine. Yeah. I mean, we saw that with uh, JK Dobbins and Mike Weber, where as good as both of those guys were when they were the number ones, they couldn't do it together um and obviously Dobbins was the better back and that proved out over the course of their uh, individual careers but like Mike Weber was a pretty good freshman a, a thousand yard rusher as a freshman but when J.K. Dobbins got in there neither of them looked all that great when they were splitting time so I'm with you T and I have talked about on to talk, uh, stick to sports like I really hope they don't do the same thing with quarterbacks like I hope that Ryan Day comes out of spring practice knowing who QB1 is and then sticks to that and lets that person, whomever it is, whether it's C.J. Stroud, Jack Miller, um, or Kyle McCord, you know, lets them get the reps and get as much experience. And then if you have to adjust on the fly, do it. But give whomever your young quarterback is going to be every opportunity to be successful. Yeah, and I think Ryan Day is smart enough at coaching his quarterbacks that he wouldn't. We're not going to have like a, a JT Bear, Cardell oh, Jones situation coming off the national nightmare. title. I think I think Ryan Day is way too smart of a quarterback's coach to let that happen. He'll he'll come in with the number one, and then we'll have similar to this year. He won't he won't let up as to who the number two is, but we'll we'll know the number one. I think for sure. From your mouth to Woody's ears. All right, let's move over to the defensive side of the ball and. Um, I think we pretty much know who three of the four starting defensive linemen are. I think Tyreek Smith is back. He's going to start at one defensive end position. Zach Harrison was essentially a starter um, at defensive end this year. Um, he wasn't technically, but from from Larry Johnson's rotation, he was very much in the mix in terms of guys who had uh, the most snaps there. Then with Haskell Garrett back, he is definitely in there as well. Um, then there's some of those guys that I mentioned, whether that's Jaron Cage or or Teron Vincent. One guy I didn't mention, I forgot, he announced that he's coming back as Antoine Jackson, coming back for his like ninth season at Ohio State as well. Uh, then you've got some, some young guys, Ty Hamilton, um, and uh, you've still got Tyler Friday and, and Javante Jean-Baptiste, who played quite a bit uh, on the outside. Uh, but one name that I think we haven't talked about, and I don't know that he is um, Travion Henderson capable of being an impact as a freshman just because of the position that he plays, but it's Jack Sawyer. Like We saw both Joey and Nick Bosa come in as freshmen, 
and have impacts uh, at defensive end. I can't remember exactly if either of them were technically starters, but as I said, Larry Johnson rotates the hell out of all of his defensive linemen. I I have to imagine that Jack Sawyer is going to come in and have some sort of impact. He might not start the season as a starter, but I would not be surprised if my fellow Pickerington native ended up the season being a starter. Yeah, Jack Sawyer is legit, and you know we we saw Tyreek Smith really came out at the end of the year. He was probably Ohio State's best defensive end outside of John Cooper. Um, but but Zach Harrison hasn't quite made that leap that we've kind of been expecting from him. And if he doesn't make it in year three, then then Jack Sawyer could be nipping at his heels for that starting spot. I think he will, just because like Javante John Baptiste and Tyler Friday have both been solid, but they haven't really done anything incredibly special. And so yeah. I, I think that the Jack Sawyer is certainly going to have a spot in that rotation. And if they add, you know, JT Tweemalau at the end of this recruiting class as well, those are two really highly regarded freshmen that could definitely see some playing time and could, you know, like you said, they could earn significant roles in this team, perhaps even one of the starting jobs opposite Tyreek Smith if it comes down to it at the end of the year and they're just balling. And just to put it into perspective, like Jack Sawyer's not just good. He's not just the number four player in the country, not the number one player in Ohio. According to 24-7 Sports, who's been tracking these things since 2000, he's the 42nd ranked player all time. Like, that's absurd um, that this kid is coming in to Ohio State as the 42nd best player um, of all time. As I'm scrolling through that list, um, Terrell Pryor was higher. He was tied for 12th. Um, JT Tuomalau is actually rated higher, but he hasn't committed to Ohio State yet. Um, although we hope he will. Ted Ginn Jr. was was up there uh, as well. But those are the only Ohio State players who were rated higher than him in the past 21 recruiting classes. So that just puts that into perspective about how good all of the recruiting analysts think that Jack Sawyer is. So keep an eye on him. And he's been in he's been in it from the jump. He was one of Ohio State, if not the first commitment yeah. in this class, I believe. And uh, he, he's been he's, he took off his senior year. To, he opted out to kind of train for Ohio State. And so he's he's going to be coming to campus ready to go. He was re- he wanted to if they had a, played a spring season and they were going to let the freshman play. He was he was ready. He was uh, asking to play in, in year one. So he's he's going to be ready to go once he gets on campus. And, and Larry Johnson's going to have no problem getting him his reps. Yeah, he had um, a knee injury during his junior season when he was not only playing defensive end, but also playing quarterback for Pickerington North. And he's not a quarterback. He uh, was was doing it because of injury. And he basically was just like a ball carrying um, uh, quarterback. He had a knee injury, which is part of why he wasn't going to play this year. Um, and wasn't playing basketball either, which he's a basketball player, which is always great to see for teams with alignment. Uh, but that's super interesting. So I'm, I'm looking forward uh, to seeing what he's like uh, on the defensive line. But as easy as that was to kind of project, Gene, like the linebackers in the secondary are just still a bit of a mess. And I wanted to, to talk about these two together because we are sitting here on the 21st of January. That means that we are less than two weeks away from the beginning of the second national signing day. Ohio State, as we mentioned uh, with JT Tuomalau, still have some guys some very highly respected and highly rated guys that could be joining this class. But in the last few days, we've also heard about guys who might be entering the transfer portal with uh, Ohio State on their minds. So they are pretty much losing their entire linebacking core with Baron Browning, um, Pete Werner, and Tuff Borland all departing. Although, have we officially heard Tuff is gone? I, I can't keep track. I know we've heard from Baron and Pete. Yeah, I, I think he's gone. He he accepted an invitation to the Senior Bowl 
way like November or December. Um, but he, I don't think he's put out one of those fancy little graphics. Um, I could be wrong. There's been so many of them. Um, but so they're all gone. Then in the secondary, you basically have, um, in terms of starters, seven banks and Josh Proctor coming back. Um, but we have we've had so many injuries in the secondary this year, whether it was Cameron Brown, I think a guy that a lot of people forget um, who I think could have a big impact and probably would have had a pretty big impact this season um, is Court Williams, who hurt himself um, in fall practice. What do you think, first off, the impact of some of these guys who might either be um, signing at the signing period on the first Wednesday in February or potentially transferring? We don't know. I don't know necessarily if the transfers can play right away, if they're waiving that this year or if they would be able to get waivers on their own. But how do you feel first off about the potential for guys that are not currently part of the program to have an impact and potentially start next year for the Buckeye defense? Yeah. I don't think anybody really knows how eligibility is going to work next year and transfers and all this stuff with the, the weird COVID season we just had. I think they're still trying to figure all that stuff out, but Either way, there are there are definitely some interesting names in the transfer portal and potentially rumored to be soon to be in the transfer portal. And we've seen, you know, Ryan Day's pulled some big names out of there. Justin Fields, Jonah Jackson, Trey Sermon. He's had some big hits in his first two years. And so uh, there's a couple guys out there at corner. That, uh, there's a kid from Texas that transferred that has uh, has some potential. There's obviously the, the big one's been Eli Ricks, but he hasn't officially uh, entered the portal yet, so I don't want to spend too much time on him. But he would be, you know, obviously he would be the best corner on the team instantly if he did choose to come to Ohio State. He was a yeah. All American as a freshman. Um, so there's some guys out there. Um, I don't think we're going to see any of the the incoming freshmen uh, start right away. But I, I think they do. Ohio State does have an interesting group of guys in that secondary. Uh, I think getting Cam Brown back from injury will be big. Uh, obviously, another year of seven banks starring will be good. And then they've got, you know, a bunch of they've got a bunch of young guys around them that didn't play much or did play a little bit. We saw Lathan Ransom come in at the end and play some slot corner. He came in as a safety, but he does a little bit of both. They got Cam Martinez, who's an interesting prospect. He was kind of a two way athlete. Um, and they've got they've Two-time got some Michigan Williams. football player of the year as well. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he also had a highlight tape of high school where he had just like seven straight minutes of touchdowns. So he's <laughs> he's pretty athletic. Um, but they've got some options back there that they can move around. We're hoping to see that they they actually do give some guys a chance. You know, obviously you got Proctor and Hooker. You don't know what's going to happen with safety. It seems like Proctor's kind of won that job over, but it'll be interesting to see what they do with those guys. And and much like the offensive line, they've got a lot of moving pieces and a lot of they've got talent on the roster. They've got some good incoming freshmen. Jordan Hancock and J.K. Johnson are both very highly regarded corners. It, uh, I wouldn't be totally surprised if one of those earned a starting job. But you also have a guy. Uh, and Ryan Watts, who's coming into his second year now, who was their basically their top corner in the last class. So uh, we might see some new faces out there this year. We might not. Uh, it could go really either way. I'm hoping that Kerry Coombs kind of figures out what he wants to do on defense schematically before I'm really worried about personnel. But uh, I'm hoping we see a, an improvement from the Ohio State defense this year because the one that they put out last year certainly didn't cut it as we saw in the end. Well, and what I think has been so interesting is that since Greg Madison got to Columbus, we've talked about this hybrid safety linebacker position, whether it's the bullet, which they called it the first season, they kind of got away from that at the second season. Pete Werner ended up essentially playing that position in 2019. He is by no means a hybrid linebacker safety, at least not at the college level, maybe um, in high school or I don't know, whatever. I don't know where he's going to play in pros. But um, and then last year, we kind of saw Josh Proctor play that position, but he's not really a linebacker either. He was pretty much a safety playing that spot. 
as soon as Court Williams showed up on the recruiting map, like everybody said, he is the prototype for this position. And whether that means that they are going to play a lot of nickel um, to get him on the field, or if he's going to be a guy that goes from playing safety and then when they go into nickel to move up into that kind of hybrid position, I don't know. Um, but people raved about him during the offseason and, and, uh, and everything else. He was doing great in fall camp. Um, I'm just interested to see how they get him on the field and in what position, um, because they missed having a, a dynamic, you know, playmaker in the secondary this year for the first time in a long time. And he just sounds like a guy who could do that. Yeah. I'm very interested in, uh, in court Williams. I actually, in my, my early death chart, I actually had him penciled in as one of the starting linebackers just because I think he yeah. could fill the role that Pete Werner had, but he'll do more of the actual hybrid stuff that they said they were going to do that we haven't really seen a whole bunch of. I, I think in the linebackers, you're really – Taraja Mitchell and Dallas Gantt seem destined to be starters. They've waited a lot, around forever yeah. while Tough Borland and Pete Werner played for the last 40 years. But um, I do think that if they want – they've got some options at the other linebacker spot, that third spot. And I think if they want to kind of incorporate that bullet that they've been talking about and haven't really done, uh, like you said, they, they recruited Court Williams to be that guy. It sounds like he's been awesome in practice before he got hurt. And I'd be interested to see you know, if he's uh, if he's ready to go in year two. And if he is, then that could be a, a huge boost to Ohio State's defense that they haven't – a new look that they haven't had in the past few years. And the thing is, is like, look, Ohio, we understand that Ohio State is so far – above the rest of the Big Ten in terms of talent. I don't think that what they should do, and I am not an X's and O's genius. I will leave that to people who know the game far more than I do. But what I will say is, is designing defenses to address and combat Big Ten offenses is not something that I think is in Ohio State's best interest. Yes, they might be playing teams uh, like Wisconsin um, or Northwestern who run the ball more. Um, but I think that if you design a defense to be able to go up against the Alabamas and the Clemsons and the Oklahomas, you are still going to be able to out talent, whatever offense, um, you're playing in the big 10, you can make adjustments and tweaks for individual weeks. But to me, the base offense, at least what the core of what you do is has to be able to compete against the teams that you are hoping to beat at the end of the year, not at the beginning of the year. So having court Williams on the field all the time, I mean, not all the time, but you know, the majority of the time gets him the experience he needs, even if he has to play up and run support a little bit more in, in the big 10 season. But then again, Ohio state usually beats teams fairly handily, at least in normal season. So they're going to have to throw more often. I just feel like we got into this habit over the last few years where we kept tough Borland on the field longer than he needed to be because he's such a run stopper. He just knows what he's doing. The problem is he's slow as shit. And that got came back to bite him when they were playing Alabama because he just wasn't athletic enough to, to play in space and to cover the guys out of the backfield or heaven forbid the Heisman trophy winning wide receiver. Um, and I don't know if they just kept him in there in those situations because they weren't confident about anybody else. But if you get your guys, your best players and your best athletes experience in the regular season, they're going to be ready for the postseason. I just didn't feel like the defense, especially the linebackers and secondary were ready uh, especially against Alabama and to a lesser degree against Clemson, but I didn't feel like they were ready because they didn't have the opportunity to actually play 
in the schemes and and in the defense that they would have to play against top talent. So I don't know what your thoughts are about that. I wanted to get that off my chest, but that's my plug for Court Williams playing a lot next year. Yeah, and what's been kind of intriguing to me to watch is that like Ohio State seems to feel that they need to run out these three and four linebacker sets to stop the run. But then when you watch Ohio State yeah. play these teams that like to run, the guys making the run stops are the defensive line. Yeah. Your defensive linemen have are just better than the other team's offensive line in <laughs> yeah. the Big Ten. Yeah. And so when to- Tommy Togia and Haskell Garrett could stop the run by themselves, you don't need Tough Borland out there. You could have two linebackers and an extra corner safety on the field. You just don't need like it hasn't it was it wasn't like all the time it was like oh thank God tough Portland and Pete Warner are out there to stop that run because the guys never even made it past the line of scrimmage and like you said you know it's kind of a blessing and a curse because like Ohio State people like to say you know they get this easy run through the Big Ten but at the same time they don't have to they don't have to defend against the forward pass pretty much for most of the year so it's kind of tough on their defense to adjust and like like make these adjustments in the secondary when they're not seeing any highly touted passing offenses until they get to the playoffs. And then they have to kind of change their entire defensive scheme against one of the better teams in the country that they have to face off against. So it's tough. Yeah. And I'm going to write something here either this week or weekend or maybe next week um, about Ohio State schedule next year. They play Oregon in the second game of the season, but the rest of their first, like the other seven of their first eight games should be essentially cakewalks for Ohio State. But then the last four games of the season, I believe it's in this order, are Indiana, Maryland, Penn State, and and Michigan. I would imagine uh, those are going to be the four most difficult Big Ten games of the season. So I'll be interested to see what that means for the linebackers in the secondary, also for the quarterback. So I, I, I just wonder what they'll be able to do in terms of training and developing that they didn't get to do in 2020 because of the shortened season, because of COVID and all of that stuff. I really feel like Ohio State can out-talent Oregon, and then the other seven of their first eight games can really be opportunities to get these guys the experience that they just didn't get in in 2020. But um, So that kind of, we kind of hit the linebackers as well. Taraja Mitchell, Dallas Gantt, they are the heir apparents, but there are some guys, Craig Young, I think is a really interesting guy. Uh, Kevon Pope is, is another really interesting guy. Um, that I think it will be interesting to see how they rotate them as well. But um, it's interesting. I, you know, I, I don't, I, I'm not surprised that any of those linebackers left. I'm not surprised that any of those uh, uh, safeties and cornerbacks stayed aside from Sean Wade, which we talked about earlier, seven banks and Josh Proctor. Um, but I don't feel super confident about knowing uh, what that's going to look like next year, but that's, Kind of the fun, and and Kerry Combs has a, a lot to prove to a lot of people, and, and it'll be interesting to see if he's able to do that given a real spring, a real summer, and a real fall before heading into the season in September of 2021. Uh, so, Gene, last thoughts. Anything that we didn't hit? Any thoughts about the roster? Any thoughts about guys leaving, draft uh, draft positioning? Anything like that you want to you want to mention before we get off here? Yeah, I just wanted to touch pretty much uh, when it comes to draft positioning. The only there's only two players leaving Ohio State this year that are, are pretty much uh, consensus first round picks in everyone's mock draft, and uh, it's Justin Fields and Wyatt Davis. Uh, Justin Fields on pretty much every mock draft is either going to the Jets at number two or uh, some people have the Jets trading for uh, Deshaun Watson. And in that case, they have Justin Fields going to the Falcons at four. Uh, I, I didn't see anybody with him under the top four picks. I think one. Oh, I have one early one early mock had him going to the Pats at like 15, which would be interesting. I don't know how I, I don't know. I, I hate these mocks that have Zach Wilson above him because I just don't get it. But either way, uh, 
Yeah, Wyatt Davis is kind of like a late first-round pick. I saw some of them going to the the Bills at 30, the Chiefs at 32. Those would be two nice landing spots for him to get on a playoff team right away with a chance to start. Uh, but other than that, some of the guys, most drafts are really only the first round, so I don't know who else is really is really in the the late second or third. But you had guys like Josh Myers is getting some like third and uh, second and third round grades. Tommy Togia, I think, can really boost his stock with his pro day. You saw a couple players tweeting how they think he's going to break the bench press record. I'd love for him to be a, a second, third round pick. I think he's got tremendous upside, and he looked really, really good up the middle for Ohio State this year. Uh, Pete Werner, Todd McShay said, was his favorite prospect that won't be drafted in the first round, oh which is God. interesting to me. He's kind of a kind of a tweener but i'll be interested to see how he does in the nfl because like you said they they were kind of using him in the bullet even though he didn't really play that role but he did seem pretty versatile he's always consistent for ohio state he made a ton of tackles uh he was pretty solid and then on that you know you have a couple guys that will probably go undrafted uh, the most intriguing prospect to me coming out of ohio state is trey sermon i don't know how teams are going to value him based on how he looked to start the year versus his last two tremendous games i hope he gets a good landing spot and a chance to prove himself in the NFL. It's really unfortunate he didn't get to finish his career at Ohio State the way he would have liked. But yeah, he's he's the guy I'm most interested to see kind of where he goes. I think everyone else, you have a pretty good idea of the general area they're going, but he's kind of the most up in the air to me. Yeah, I th- this morning I looked at Dane Brugler's um, draft rankings. This was his board. He This was not assigning teams to players, so he's not taking into account needs of specific teams um he has justin fields as the ninth best player in the draft wyatt davis as the 41st josh myers as the 54th baron browning as the 59th tommy togiai is the 70th pete werner as the 86th he just goes one through 100 uh but he's got seven ohio state or six Six or seven Ohio State, I can't remember. Yeah, six Ohio State guys in the top 100, um, which would essentially be uh, for more or less um, with the compensatory picks uh, the first three rounds. So six in the first three after a season like this where you were uh, kind of thin at a lot of positions, like that's not too bad. Um, again, of course, I'll obviously a lot of things will change with the Senior Bowl and whatever the – combine-esque pro day uh, process is like, and then uh, all the teams figuring out what they need and all of their scouting as well. Things can change, but I feel pretty good about six in the top 100. Where they are slotted once teams are you know penciled in and figured into that, I have no idea, but um, I, I kind of feel like Justin Fields is going to slide down to the mid or back half of the first round, and he's going to end up getting drafted by like I don't know, Bill Belichick or Sean Payton or something and end up landing in a situation that is really, really good. Um, and he look, he needs to develop. He throws a great ball. He's obviously a great passer. Um, he's also a great runner. I don't know that he has um, the vision yet um, to, to be a franchise quarterback right out of the gate, but you put him with the, the Pats or the Saints or somebody like that, like, I think he's got potential. I think that might actually be his best opportunity because we certainly don't want to see another flame out like uh, Dwayne Haskins and Washington, even though he has apparently now signed a one-year deal with the Steelers. Yeah, and that's why I kind of like a spot like the Falcons at four for him because he could kind of sit behind Matt Ryan for a year and then maybe take over in year two with an offense that has guys like Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley around him. That's That would be another potential good landing spot, but I do think it'd be best suited for him to maybe not go to a spot where he's expected to be the guy right off the bat. He obviously has tremendous skill set. He's got a lot going for him. He makes the NFL throws. We've seen it all year for the past two years, but he does have some, you know, some areas he's got to work on before he becomes, you know, a franchise quarterback in the NFL. 
I do want to say, though, I don't want to touch on this. Bill Landis this morning, uh, he, his hot take is that Pete Werner will be the first Ohio State defensive player selected in this year's draft. Pete Werner will be the first Ohio State defensive player taken in the draft. I mean, it's not crazy. It's not crazy. Tommy Togia, I think, would be the only guy that probably could go above him or or like a a team reaches on Sean Wade, maybe. I was going to say, like, I can still see Sean Wade being a day two guy just because of how good he has been in the past and how athletic he is. I wonder how teams will look at 2020, given the weirdness of the season, but also the um, the scheme, which had him playing off guys a lot. He was not put in press coverage very much all season. So I wonder how much of the yardage that he gave up as an outside cornerback will be chalked up to what Kerry Combs uh, was scheming. I, I don't I would still probably take the field. <laughs> I don't know who. Yeah, I, I think that's probably a safer bet. The only the only uh, mock that I saw that went into the third round was Walter Football's, and they had Sean Wade going uh, in the third round, number 92 overall, to the Buccaneers. Yeah, I mean, I you know, I, I think he's a really talented guy, but I feel like that's probably fair given what we've seen from him in the past three months or whatever it's been. Yeah, the uh, the national championship game certainly wasn't a, a great look for him either. But there, you know. there were not very many good looks for him this season, but... Anyway, that is all that we have for today. Thank you for listening to this episode of Langer and Holy Land in conversation. Gene, thank you, of course. Where can people find you on social media? I am at Gene underscore Ross 23 on Twitter. And uh, obviously, you know, you'll find me and the, the rest of the wonderful Land Grant writers writing over at LandGrantHolyLand.com. All right. If you're finding this episode on said website, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We are bringing you the most unique content you're going to find in any Ohio State podcast feed throughout this offseason. We're going to be pivoting to basketball and other things quite a bit here once we get more into January and February. So stick around for that. Also, don't forget to follow Land Grant Holy Land on Twitter at LandGrant33, and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at BWWMatt. Thanks for listening. We will talk to you soon, and as always, go Bucks.